The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, you are a God that loves us, that wants an intimate relationship with us. And not just with us, but God, you came to reach those who do not yet know you. And we pray, God, that as we look into your word, as our groups go through the study that we're currently doing, that you would help us to see how important it is for us to take your commandment to go into all the world. How, how, that we would take it seriously. That we would take it seriously to go and proclaim your love, your name, your way, your truth, your life, so that those who do not yet know you, those who think they are far from you, come to realize that you are a loving and forgiving God. And you are here to use us as instruments in your hands to share that love, that story of of forgiveness, the story of love with those who have not yet known you. So God, open up our hearts and minds to hear from you now. And most importantly, Jesus, help us to come to realize who you really are. You're not just some, some some God-man that came and died for us, but you're so much more than that. And as we open up your scriptures to see the truth of who you are, Jesus, make our hearts on fire for you. Amen. Amen. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. Sovereign King, no means of 
just going to pray now? Amen? That is what it's about. Today, our focus is on who is Jesus. And it's the foundation, it's the chief cornerstone of who we are. The study that we started a week ago as Adam kicked us off uh, is called Gospel-Shaped Outreach. As a church, we've been doing a lot to try and care for our neighbors, to reach out to those who are poor and in need. But a time or two, I've mentioned that it's not enough for us just to fill hungry bellies and take care and put coats on cold bodies. It's not enough to just feed somebody and clothe them if we just send them off on their way to hell. It is about Jesus, and it's about earning the right to be heard, earning the right to share with them the truth of who our king is. That is why we exist. There are many organizations in our world that exist to to take care of people in need. The world doesn't need one more good deed doing organization. What the world needs is Jesus. And Jesus had compassion. When he looked upon the world, it says that he had splagdizomehi. It's a word that means from the gut. It means that he felt, he saw our need, and it moved him to action. It hurt inside. Have you ever seen that kind of need? And it just hurt on the inside? It compelled you to do something about it. That's the kind of king we have. We have a king who is is like no other. The greatest of stories that I see in movies and, and, and stories told is when a king will become a commoner to blend among the people to meet a certain need. And that's the God we have, a God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He stepped out of heavenly realms and into our earthly mess to show us the way of love, the way of truth, the way of life. And unless we know who who Jesus truly is, unless we have a proper understanding of who our king is, our gospel falls apart. We don't just share the gospel, which means good news. We don't just share the gospel out of religious duty. We don't just share the gospel out of, out of uh, trying to check a box. For those of us who have truly been transformed and changed and reached by the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, it should sh- shape everything about our life. It should shape how we love, how we reach, how we serve. So that when people see what we do, they don't see us and glorify us, but they see us and come to know our Father who is in heaven. There are certain principles that we have to nail down that are core to the center of who Jesus is. Brandy and I were watching on television, um, I think it was Netflix, this uh, documentary on um, Mormonism. And what was interesting is in the few (coughs) opening moments of this documentary, one of these devout Mormon believers started praying. And at the end of his prayer, he said, I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. I don't know if you know much about Mormonism. I don't know if you know much about what they believe. But although they pray to Jesus and they say they believe in Jesus, and Mormons have now even been instructed when you ask them if they're a Christian, they would say, yes, we are Christians at one time. 
they would say, no, we're, we're Latter-day Saints. And so it can become confusing if you, if you see someone who's sincerely pursuing what they believe to be true about God, and if they're praying in the name of Jesus, well, aren't they brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't they, aren't they believing in the same God? And the truth is, is that they're not. They believe that Jesus is just another person who was like you and me, who <clears throat> was given birth by a God and one of his many wives in heaven, and that he was a spirit baby. And one of his siblings was a guy named Lucifer, and both of them were, were brothers in heaven. And when God was thinking about uh, populating the earth, Jesus came up with the plan, and Lucifer came up with the plan, and they decided, everybody took a vote, the spirit babies in this big celestial family, they decided to go with Jesus' plan, and Lucifer was upset and rebelled, and he, he rallied together a third of his brothers and sisters in heaven, and they rebelled against God, who's, who they call Elohim, who came from a planet on another part of the universe, who was a man just like you at one time, but he was so good in, in, in having children as a humanoid-type person. Now it sounds like Star Wars. Um, and, and he populated his earth so well that he was given the right and privilege to become God in this part of the universe, and we are his spirit babies. And, and there are many gods in Mormonism. And there are many spirit babies, and Jesus is just one of those spirit babies who is a good example for us to follow. But Jesus in Mormonism is not the only way. He's not the only truth. He's not the only life. He's some alien, weird, sci-fi being that they just happen to call Jesus. And it's true. It's important for us to understand the truth of who Jesus really is. And, and thank the Lord we have his very words. We have the words given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit written through the hands of men as the Holy Spirit directed, and we can search the scriptures to see who Jesus really is. And not only do we have the words of scripture, but we, we have history itself. We have history itself that points back to a man named Jesus and the claims that he made about who he was and about his ways to the kingdom. An author by the name of C.S. Lewis, many of you may have heard of C.S. Lewis, he said these things about the man Jesus. He said, Jesus and all of the claims that he made, he was either a liar and totally just conning people, leading them astray, or he was a lunatic and he thought it was true about himself, but he was really crazy, claiming to be God, claiming to raise people from the dead, claiming to be the way to eternal life. That's a crazy man. And yet, how many crazy people do you see leading religions? He was either a liar, or he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. And the truth about who Jesus is, is he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And this is the central question to our gospel. We're, we're here not to point people to a religion. We're not here to point people to a way of life. We're not here to be kind and loving people so that the world can be a more kind and loving place. We are here to point people to Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No one comes to heaven. No one comes to the 
experiences the life of our Creator intended for us to live apart from Jesus. And I want to give you a couple basics this morning about who Jesus is so that we can have that foundation sure that we have a gospel that is built on truth. We have good news that is built on a God who loves us and wants to know us and wants us to know him. Some of you may have heard a couple creeds about who Jesus is. I want to read just a couple excerpts from the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed as we look into the scriptures this morning. The Apostles' Creed starts out and says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It then goes on to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended to heaven. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The Nicene Creed says this, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. My question to us this morning is, to you, who is Jesus? Many religions see Jesus as a, great example of a man who lived. History records acts of Jesus as somebody to model your life after. There are many religions that teach he was a good teacher. Uh, Even some religions look at him as a religious figure. But it's not enough for him to be all of the things I've just listed. He is Lord. And he is the only Lord. That may sound narrow-minded, but if there's only one way, it would be unloving for me to tell you something different. Jesus is the Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Who is Jesus to you? I'm going to start. You have some notes there if you want to take. And for those of you that have the handbook that's going along with our study, uh, you can actually take notes in your book if you'd like. But in your handout, you have notes as well if you don't yet have a book. And if you need a book for our study, our community groups are digging in deeper each week into what we're talking about as we understand the truth of of who Jesus is and the importance of sharing the good news that he came to share, the good news, the gospel. And so if you need a book, I want to encourage you just to raise your hand. One of our, our, uh, looks like Donna is grabbing some extras right now. So if you need a book, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you. In your notes this morning, we're focusing on who Jesus is. And the first uh, thing that I want to bring forth is that Jesus is God 
in flesh. Jesus was not just another human being born and, and happened to live a good life. We have, the world has the history, uh, uh, has records of tons of good people who have lived, who have come, and who have demonstrated great examples and model lives for us to follow. But Jesus was not just a good man. Jesus is God who became flesh. He is 100% God and 100% man. And the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ has these two natures, and it's a mystery of how this can be. But God, who in the beginning of time spoke into nothing and created everything, can do anything. He is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent. He is everywhere. We have a God who can do anything, and so God becoming flesh is just another thing that he can easily do. 100% God, 100% deity, and yet the book of Philippians tells us that he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he let go of that becoming a man, a servant, even to the point of going to the cross. God became one of us to die for us, to live a perfect and sinless life, to exchange his perfect life for our broken life, to offer us forgiveness to any who would receive it and believe. We know that Jesus did not have a beginning, although he was born and we celebrate the fact that he was born as a Christmas Jesus existed before Mary gave him birth. When asked and and being grilled by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were asking him by what authority he could claim the claims he made, that even their forefather Abraham didn't make such claims. And And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am is a huge statement in the eyes of the Pharisees and in the eyes of nation of Israel. I am is the name of God. When Moses asked God, who God was appointing to go and to set the captives free out of Egypt, when Moses said, who am I to say sent me? God said, tell them I am has sent you. When Jesus made the claim before Abraham was, I am, he was claiming to be God. He was a man of flesh standing in front of these Pharisees. You could touch him and feel him. You could sit down and eat with him. There were people who came and washed his feet because he would walk in the filth and become dirty. He was fully God and yet fully man, existing eternally. Before Abraham was, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was walking on this earth. And yet Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus didn't have a beginning. He's lived eternally. And beyond that, he was in the beginning, according to the book of John. John chapter 1, one of the most amazing texts in all of Scripture. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word, the Word is logos. It means the sum of all things. It means all understanding. Everything was wrapped up in God. All that could be known was known. It was, it was God himself. God is the author of everything. In the beginning was this word, and this word was with God, and this word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Those of you who are grammar teachers, you have a whole heyday here. If 
you drop down from verse 1 and 2 and look at verse 3, it says, Through him, the him we're talking about is the Word, which is God. The Word was God. And through him, through God, all things were made. Without him, without God, nothing was made that has been made. The author of everything is God. And yet, drop down to verse 14, the word, circle every time you see the word, the word there. If you have your own Bible, circle it there. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. Jesus, while being fully human, is fully God. He's not just a great example of a man for us to look to and follow. He is God. In Colossians 2.9, Paul says this, For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, all that God is, dwells bodily. For in Jesus, God dwells among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. Number two, Jesus was not just God who came and lived. Jesus died for us. God, eternally existing, somehow was able to allow himself to giving up his life in exchange for ours. Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. And Jesus is therefore the resurrected king. He's not just a guy who died for a good cause. Many men have died for a good cause. Many heroes, many men and women have given up their life for the sake of somebody else. But Jesus did not only die for us, he rose again, conquering sin and death and in victory. He is our resurrected king. Each of the gospels, the good news stories found in the Bible, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all highlight the importance of the resurrection. Paul said, without the resurrection, there is no salvation. We worship a guy who was just a good model of a figure for us to follow in his footsteps, and yet he never rose from the dead. We all just do. We need someone who not only died for us, but also who conquered sin and death and victory offers us new life. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this. Paul said, what I learned, what I received, I passed on to you. As of, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. He died for us, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised to life on the third day, also according to the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, there are over 48 prophecies about the man, Jesus, the Messiah. And some skeptics would say, well, as Jesus grew up, being in Jewish culture, he would study those prophecies. And so he just lived out his life fulfilling those so people would think he was the Savior. 
what do you do about the prophecies that predict how he would be born? How many of you predicted or decided how you'd be born? Anyone? Got at least one. How many of you predict or will decide how you die? Jesus, before death even came and was written, how he would be led like a silent lamb to slaughter, how he would be after death, he would be buried in a borrowed man's tomb. There are things that were way outside of his control that he could have never decided. There were tons of predictions throughout history of who Jesus would be, and they were all fulfilled in him. Revelations 1.18 tells us this. I am the living one. This is Jesus speaking in a vision to John, his beloved disciple. John later in life, because he would not recant, because he would not um, uh, deny his belief in Jesus, was, was put in a prison on the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, he was receiving vision from God and writing these things down. And Jesus said these words to John through a vision. He said, I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades, hell. Jesus is the one who died for us, and yet he is the one who rose again, and he now holds the keys. It is appointed unto all men once to die. Each and every one of us will one day die. Unless the Lord returns again, he will return. And for those of you who are, uh, those of us who may be lucky enough to be alive when he returns, we will be resurrected with him in heaven one day. But the majority of us will likely die first and then be resurrected. 1 Peter 1 tells us this. Have that verse? I think I threw it in there. I think we only have Chris and Douglas. First Peter one. There's too much to read, so I'll summarize the main point. It tells us that because Jesus conquered sin and death, that even in our sufferings we can have hope. Jesus said, "As I suffer, you too will suffer, but take heart, have hope. I have overcome sin and death, and I will." And Jesus promises not only to be dead, but to be with us forever. In the Great Commission, at the end of it, he says, As you go out teaching them all things, remember, I am with you always. Jesus is the resurrected King who is with us. As we go about wondering how we're going to share the gospel, how we're going to share the good news with those who are around us, Jesus promises to be with us. The Bible says, when you are taken before leaders and authorities, do not worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Jesus is with us as we walk in his name. The Holy Spirit is with us to give us the words to say. Do not be afraid. He is with us always. There have been many saviors in the world. There have been many good role models for us to follow. But only one died for his people and rose again. The gospel message at its most simple form is that Jesus is Lord. He died and rose again. Number three. Jesus.
is, is a truth-telling movement. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. And we have to pay attention to what he said. Jesus said, he predicted, he told his followers that he would die. And not only did he die, but he resurrected. He did what only God can do, bring life. Jesus said in Luke 9.22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the religious elite of the day, and the chief priests and the scribes. And he will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised. Jesus even said in John 10, he said that he had authority to raise himself from the dead. Look at these words. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life. Jesus didn't didn't have his life taken from him. Jesus was crucified. He was put through a mockery of a trial, but he said, you only have the power that my Father has given me. You don't take my life. I lay it down. And he laid it down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We have to put our faith and trust in the words of Jesus. In order for us to be able to share the gospel, we have to believe that the good news is true and that the words he said are trustworthy and true. We must be convinced That he is who he said he was. And when we come to read the words of God, we must put our hope and faith and trust that his words are true. It's been said that when we read the Bible, and especially when we read the words of Jesus, we discover that they are actually reading us. His words pierce our hearts and show us that we, what we are truly like, and his words can also fill us with hope and comfort. Jesus is a truth-telling Lord. Number four, Jesus is a sin-bearing, or the sin-bearing Savior. The truth is, is that when God created us, He created us to have an intimate relationship with us. He made the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created all that was created. And He put man and woman created Adam and Eve, and he created the beasts of the earth, and he put them in the Garden of Eden. He gave them dominion over everything, and and, and he told Adam to name all of the animals, and at first uh, he had these great names like rhinoceros and hippopotamus and elephant, and he must have got tired, and ant and fly and bug, you know. But in the Garden of Eden, God had everything, and it was perfect. It was the way that he intended it to be. But man also was given the freedom to choose whether to obey God or to rebel against God. And in our sin, we were deceived. And and God said, you can enjoy everything in the garden, but of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Leave its fruit alone. Do not eat of it. For if you do, on that day you will surely die. And on that day, when Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan in the form of a serpent, 
a spiritually alive death. And death entered the world. Sin entered all of us. In that moment when Adam and Eve sinned, we sinned. We are his seed. We are his offspring. And all of earth, all of humanity has been sinned. We are born in sin. And the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin in our life is death. It's eternal separation from God. But God, being so great and deep in love and mercy, did not want us to live a created, separated life from him. And so out of his love, he became flesh to be our redemption. To reconcile us. And so in the need of reconciliation, Jesus came as God in flesh and took our sins upon himself. Jesus never sinned. While being fully God, he did become fully man. The scriptures do tell us that he was tempted in every way that we've been tempted and yet never sinned. And so when he went to the cross, it wasn't his sins, his own sins he was dying for, but the sins of the weight of the world, the sins that had already been uh, committed up till that time, and every sin that would ever be committed, every sin we've ever done, every sin we will do, came upon him, our Savior, on the cross as he gave up his life in exchange for ours. But being the kind of people that wired the way we are, we try and look for ways to solve things on our own. There have been many times when there's been a problem in my life and I, instead of reading the instructions, I just try to figure it out on my own. How many of you ever done that with Ikea furniture? Had a bookcase and I put, oh, this is easy. I don't need to read instructions. I put the sides on. I put the, screwed everything tight. And then I realized that certain shelves had to go in before the sides were put on. And they wouldn't fit. And I just thought, well, it's not that off. I'll just push a little and squeeze it in. That great quality wood that Ikea makes, didn't like that. Snap, I was on my way back to Ikea. Many times our problems are because we try to fix things on our own. And, and, and when it comes to reconciliation with God, man has tried to come up with his own system. First of all, we many think that God is so loving of a God that he'll just compromise and in the end forgive everyone. Right? Don't we have a loving God? He doesn't want anybody to suffer. Right? In the end, everything's going to be okay. But in the end, that's just false hope. Jesus did not die on the cross so that God could just be a loving God and just wipe everybody's sins away just because... what the Bible and what Jesus teaches is a false hope. The second thing is we attempt to atone for our own sins by by stacking up a heap of goods thinking we can somehow earn God's favor. This is the way of religion. If I go to church enough, if I pray enough, if I give enough, if I read enough, if I memorize enough, somehow I will earn God's favor. The book of Romans chapter 3 says our righteous works are like filthy good enough. In and of ourselves, we cannot earn God's love. And so the third option is the only option that we have, is that we have to have somebody who's qualified and able to step in for us. 
to take our place, to pay the payment that we owe. And God, being a holy and just God, says in the book of 1 John that he is light and in him there can be no darkness at all. Our best, best is not good enough. And so Jesus puts himself in our place, taking our brokenness, our sin upon himself and presenting his perfect life in our place. We have the best Savior and the living hope in his son. He is the only way the Father extends forgiveness and grace. He is our sin-bearing Savior. For Christ also, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous one for us, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he was made alive in the spirit. And the last point as we bring our message to close, the worship team can get in place. Jesus is the only way. Acts 4.12 says, and, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus is saying, he says, I am the way, not a way. He says, I am the truth, not one of many truths. He says, I am the life, not one of many lives. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But instead, the wrath of God remains on him. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And that one person is Jesus Christ. Jesus is loves those who do not yet know him. Do you know him? Do you know him as your Savior? If you do, are you sharing the love of your Savior with those who do not yet know him? Everywhere you eat, everywhere you play, everywhere you study, everywhere you shop, disguised as stewards and employees. We are missionaries sent to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who do not yet know him. Father God, I pray that you would help us to fall in love with who you truly are. Realizing that you did everything for us and now to simply surrender to you as Savior and Lord, to surrender to you as, as the one who we submit our life to, that we follow in our life. God, help us out of response for who you are and what you've done for us to live a life of worship for you. God, I pray right now for any in this room that 
be sitting here and may be at a, a place in their life where they have not seen you in these ways that you have shown us through your scripture today as a sin-bearing Savior, as the only way, the only truth of life, as a truth-telling Lord, as a resurrected King, as God in flesh. I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who has not seen you in this way, that they would surrender to you fully right now. They would call out to you and say, Jesus, thank you for being Lord. Thank you for coming to this earth and giving up your life for me. Now I give you mine. Take my heart and make it new. Help me to turn from the things that I know that are wrong, the sin that I have in my life. Help me to repent from it. Help me to turn from it to follow you. Become my Savior and my Lord, the Lord of the way I live, the Lord, the Lord of the things I say, the Lord of the thoughts that I think. Become the Lord of my life, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Help me now to follow you. I pray, God, if there's someone here this morning who's never called out to you in that way, that they would do it right now. Receiving your love and your forgiveness and your acceptance, making them a child of God. As you continue to think about these things and pray, let us remember that all of this is only possible because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. The night before he was arrested and took our place on the cross, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. He says, as you eat of this in the future, think of me and what I've done for you. As you take this cup and taste of it, think of my blood that will be shed for you. As we close our service, I invite you to think upon these things as you take this piece of bread, as you dip it in the cup, as we take communion together. For those of you who do not yet know Jesus, my hope is that you would surrender your life to Jesus and come to him. But for those of you who already know him, participate in communion in remembrance of what he did for us. If there's something going on in your life that has been touched this morning and you want to pray, I would love to pray with you. Come on up. Let's pray. Let's seek Christ together. If you feel more comfortable going towards the back, we've got Rob and Lisa back there willing to pray with you in the back. Regardless of what God's doing, respond to him today as he leads you. Listen to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's calling you. Surrender to him.